0: So if any of you are unaware, uh, today is New Year's Eve, which marks the official end of 2017. We will go to bed, and then tomorrow will be an entirely new year, which a lot of people really appreciate. They really like the idea of starting something new, of beginning fresh. Uh, but for me, I, I never really viewed it that way. Uh, for me, the year is spent trying to get into a rhythm, into a pattern, trying to get uh, down into my groove so I, so I can act and a new year kind of disrupts that, I think. I have to start over, uh, especially in college. I'll have a new semester with, with new professors and new books, new classes. And so that was always a little daunting for me. And, that, and don't get me wrong, I, I still make New Year's resolutions. Uh, I would be willing to bet that I am one of the world's best New Year's resolution setters. Uh, I have started about 50 of them. Uh, I have yet to finish one, uh, but 2018 is looking like my year. Um Really, if, if I had kept every single one of my New Year's resolutions, uh, you'd be reading about me in the news as the most muscular and well-read FBI agent to ever walk on <laughs> Jupiter. Um, I, I have set some big goals for myself when it came to New Year's, uh, but I, I always seem to have some trouble finishing. And, and I know that's, that's not anything new. I'm sure you all have experienced that, because really, we're, we're just not very good at, at finishing. And really, I I failed at some some pretty important goals, I think. Uh, One one of the most common resolutions is Bible reading. You know, you want to work your way through the entire Bible this year, but you get through Genesis and you're feeling good. You remember all the stories and you go through Exodus and you remember VBS days and the stories from your childhood. And then you get to Leviticus and your head hits the table. Uh, You're falling asleep and you get to numbers if you're really lucky, and then it's just all over from there. Those two books are where that resolution goes to die, let me tell you. And then maybe you're one of those that that your resolution is to work out to get a little bit healthier this year. You'll go through this month, uh, you might start a new gym membership, maybe buy a new piece of exercise equipment, you're waking up early, you're, you're hitting it hard, you're doing good, and then February hits, life picks up a little bit, maybe you go on vacation, spring break, and exercise is one of the first things to fall out of your daily routine. And if you're one of those who wants to read more, you might have bought some books, you're ready to become well-learned, and you figure out it's way, way easier to just turn on the TV, and sometimes a lot more fun. See, I don't say all this to discourage you, because I failed at all three of these resolutions. See, resolutions are interesting to me because we look at a new year and we look at our lives and ourselves, and we know that change would be a good thing. And we set out to make that change. We make goals for ourselves. But as the year progresses, we tend to gravitate back to these points in our lives where life was last comfortable. We begin making a change that disrupts our lives in some ways. But slowly, we go back to where we started. And that's so interesting to me. Research says that about 80% of New Year's resolutions will fail by the second week in February. Of the 52% of Americans who make New Year's resolutions, only about 9% at the end of the year say they feel they have been successful. And you see t- statistics like that. And you have to wonder why. What is it about us that makes us so bad at finishing things? And really, I I think I have the answer, and it's not fun to hear. And I should say, I'm very sorry if this offends you. That's not my intent. But if it does, just track with me to the end of the sermon here. I really think it's because people are just plain lazy. We are. We love to find the easy way. Given a choice, between action and inaction, most of the time we will choose inaction, or at least when we have to choose action, we will choose the path of least resistance, the one that causes us the least grief and causes us to do the least amount of work. And this is, I think, why procrastination is so prevalent. I'm speaking as a college student, so I am the world's leading expert on procrastination. This is rampant. We leave things off till tomorrow, We think that today should just be about today, and tomorrow is always the best time to start things. Have you ever been thinking, I really could be doing this right now? This is my day off, or I really should be doing this. This list is growing long. But I've been hard at work all week. I'm really exhausted. I was up late last night. The kids were terrible. You just want to take that time for yourself. I get that. And I think there are different reasons for for why we choose laziness. I think that in a lot of ways, we fear change of any kind. You know, sure, a lot of people are, are afraid of failure, but success can be just as intimidating for some people because that's still a change, that's still a disruption to your life. Or for some people, a situation just seems a little too hopeless for any work to be worth doing. What does it matter if I do this work? It's not going to change. Maybe we don't work because we feel we won't see the results. They aren't tangible. I think that's why a lot of us fail at working out, because we look in the mirror and we just don't see any change. We can't see any difference. And that's why I like, when I make to-do lists, I like to write things down that I've already done. Uh, Feel free to use that hack this year. It makes you feel very productive. But really, when, when I think about it, when I examine my life, if I can find a way to do less work, I will almost always choose that path. And I think that's really the way that the world around us is designed. We're all about speed and comfort and ease and convenience. If you think about the remote control that was invented to save you two steps to the TV, instead we just point a box to change the channel. Everything is about making us comfortable, it seems. And I know this sounds kind of negative, but I I really don't intend that. What I I really want to get at is that I think we get down to the root of who we are as people in that one word, comfort. Human beings crave being comfortable. And any disruption to that comfort comes as a huge shock and we resist as hard as we can. That is why so many resolutions fail, because it is so easy not to change. And it is uncomfortable to make those changes. When we're working out, it is always easier to hit snooze on your alarm, to go back to sleep, and to get a little bit more rest. When you're trying to read a book, it is easier to put it down, turn on the TV, and save a little bit of brain activity. It is always easier. And I don't think that's necessarily a new problem. I don't think that's a product of what is around us. I think this was reflected biblically. If you think about the Israelites, As they were escaping from Egypt, they had the exact same problem that we do. If you'll turn to Exodus chapter 14, uh, that's where our reading is going to come through today. We're going to see this exact same problem reflected in the Israelite people. Uh, We're going to be beginning Exodus 14, verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariots made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi opposite baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. The Israelites have just come from Egypt. They have just seen God's power displayed in the 10 plagues. They have seen God go head to head with Pharaoh 10 times and come out on top every single time. They are now leaving bondage and slavery. And we know how this story ends. We know that God legitimately parts the sea for them with walls of water on either side so they can cross through on dry land. And as soon as they get across safely, the waters engulf the chariots, saving them from the Egyptians. And almost as soon as they cross, they start complaining again. Almost immediately. Turn to Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Really put yourself in Moses and Aaron's shoes in this story. If you are hearing this complaint, you have to be thinking, You have got to be kidding me. Did you just see what God did for you. He brought you out of a life of slavery, where you were working for other people night and day. He delivered you from Pharaoh and his army. He crossed a sea for you. He's taking you to the promised land that your family was promised, and still you complain against him? Why? How can they say this? But if you really look at the Israelites' struggle, I think they're having the exact same problem of trust that we have today. The Israelites lack trust in God because they can't see where he's leading them. All they know is that they were taken from Egypt. The only life they had ever known where they had food, they had water, and they had shelter. And now they're in the desert where they have absolutely none of those things. And they've heard of the promised land, a story that's been passed down for generations, but none of them have ever seen it. They've been in Egypt their entire lives for generations. They've been taken from the only lives they know. And even if they're headed to a better place, they can't see where that is or what that looks like. They're having such a hard time trusting in God. And I'm the same way. Change is so hard for me. I resist it so much. I can even look back at these times in my life where it changed the most, where I struggled the most. And I can point to it and say that God was at work here and he had a plan for me. He led me to a better place. But despite that, every time change comes, I resist because I don't know where God's leading me because out of the former change, I have built a new life. I have found a new normal. I've gotten back to where I want to be. And God takes me out of that God leads me a new direction, and I'm sure it's for my benefit. I know that, but I still resist. Change is one of the most uncomfortable things for me, and I know something about being uncomfortable. There have been so many times in my life where I have been so uncomfortable, and this usually results in a pretty good story for anyone who's not me and not feeling that discomfort. There was one time when my family, I was about six years old, we were taking a trip to the Austin State Capitol, because there's nothing that small children love more than state government. Feel free to use that on your next vacation. So we were going to the, to the State Capitol building, and if you don't know, on one of the floors there, there's an artifacts hall in the middle of a museum, very dimly lit place. And so we were there, we were looking at the artifacts, and I see across the way a mannequin standing in front of one of those displays. And in my little six-year-old six mind, I know I just have to mess with it. I can't leave mannequins alone. I had this weird thing with mannequins. I thought it was funny to go up and mess with them and make them do, like, the YMCA or something. That was just my brand of humor then. It hasn't improved much. Uh, I'm not allowed in Target anymore. Um, so I see this mannequin across the way, and I'm thinking, this is going to be good. And so I go over to that mannequin, and I begin moving its arms around and making it dance and stuff like that. And then I look up. And I see the very startled face of a woman who was just trying to look at the artifacts who was standing very stillly in my defense, um, who is not in fact a mannequin. And I power walked away and I didn't tell my family about that until last week because I was that uncomfortable about it. Um, That's just one of those things. We really hate to be uncomfortable. We want to push that away out of our minds and sweep it under the rug so that people can't share in that discomfort. One of the trips that we do and youth group was wilderness trek. It was one of my favorite trips where we go backpacking in the mountains. And that trip is all about getting out of your comfort zone. One of the first things they have you do is go rappelling. And if you don't know, rappelling is essentially walking backwards off of a cliff with a rope attached to a harness around your waist and the other end of the rope attached to a tree. And let me tell you, Martin Tucker always says there is absolutely nothing natural about walking backwards off of a cliff. And that is 100% true. Everything in your body fights against that. Everything in you tells you not to do that as you're going backwards into the unknown. And it is so hard to trust these little bitty ropes to hold you up. And you can't see where you're going. You have to completely trust in the strength of the rope and the people who are guiding you up top. That was truly uncomfortable. You release all control in that moment. And like many other people, it was extremely difficult trying to figure out what to do after high school. I struggled with that for a long time. Some people know this. I was actually committed to the University of Alabama for a long time. And sure, that's, that's far away, and I wouldn't know any people, but I had this, this plan picked out for me where I would have this great major that would land me this amazing job and make me a lot of money so I could live this comfortable life. And at the last moment, I... I decided to go to Abilene Christian University to become a ministry major. And church, I'm so satisfied with that decision now, but that's a decision that's, that's two years in the making. And I have to say, at first, that was an extremely uncomfortable decision full of self-doubt and questioning on, is this right for me? That was truly, truly uncomfortable. See, a lot of us, we will do everything we can to avoid discomfort. But when I look at these situations, I realize that most times when I make myself uncomfortable, this is a choice I have to make. Usually when we look back and we're uncomfortable, we look that there were two paths and we could have chosen the one that's easier. We could have chosen a very simple path that is safe and familiar and comfortable. We have to force ourselves outside of our comfort zones to make any kind of change. And you know what? When I look backwards, I see God working more clearly through those times of discomfort. I see God at work powerfully through those times when I was unsure. And that's not me saying that God isn't working when we're comfortable, but I truly believe that any kind of growth, any kind of direction needs to be uncomfortable. Growth requires some sort of change. Calvin Coolidge, our 30th president, said that all growth depends upon activity. There is no development physically or intellectually without effort. And effort means work. To me, that says we can either choose growth or comfort. We cannot choose both. So my question to you this morning is, where are you? If you're the kind of person who isn't comfortable sitting around, who wants to make something for themselves, who wants to bring about change, I think that is wonderful and you should pursue that. But I'd be willing to bet that most of us are working on our comfortable lives and are just happy with that. And I know I am. And you may have been tuning me out because you don't want your life to change. You like how it is. And I understand that. But I want to challenge you. Because really, really wonderful things can happen when we're made uncomfortable. When we're made to grow. And to the counterpoint, I think really negative things can happen when we remain comfortable for too long. Think about... The greatest heroes in the Bible. Think about Moses, who rescued the people from the Israelites. When God called him, his first thing that he did, he objected. He fought God so hard. He struggled against him. He said, I don't want to do this. Have you heard me speak? I'm not very good at it. If you think about Gideon, when God called Gideon to deliver Israel, Gideon said, I, I'm the least in my family. My family's the smallest in the clan. This is the smallest clan in the smallest tribe of Israel. Why me? I have a life. Don't send me. Think about Rahab, called to, to save the Israelites, called to be in the genealogy of Jesus, working as a, as a prostitute. You know she had to resist that. She had to wonder, why her? Think about Mary, tasked with, Bringing our savior into the world as a teenager, unmarried, undoubtedly mocked and ridiculed and shunned because of her role in the Jesus story. And think about Saul. Saul who killed so many Christians, who was labeled a terrorist, who hated Christianity. Called to be the greatest missionary in the history of the faith. Think about all these changes. These had to be uncomfortable for all of them, but they had a choice. They chose to follow God. They chose to be uncomfortable. Think about if they had chosen alternatively, think how differently their stories would have been, or if we would even still be reading these stories, if they would even be in our Bibles. Like I said, choosing comfort can be dangerous. What if you choose to remain comfortable physically forever? What if we leave off that diet? What if we stop working out altogether? We just stay still all the time. Your health will fade rapidly. We know that's bad for us, but it's so comfortable. If we stay comfortable financially, we've built a life, we work hard, we need to hang on to our money. We rob ourselves of the joy of giving that God has called us to. I know it's so easy to justify holding on to your money. The economy's bad. Or, money's tight right now, or we really need to do this thing. And, you know, I know people need the money, but I need it too. I, I'm the best at justifying holding onto money. I, I get it, but that's, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to challenge ourselves. And we know that God provides, but we still hold on all the tighter. If we remain comfortable relationally, If we stay with the same group of people our entire lives, we miss out on one of the most important aspects of being a Christian, and that's growing in community. I think God puts people in our lives for us to greet, for us to walk with, for us to struggle with. And if we're not content to meet those people, to reach out, to go outside of the people that we know and commonly interact with, we're missing out on huge opportunities that God puts in our paths. If we stay comfortable professionally, you can become stagnant or, or bored with your job. You could even lose your job. I haven't spent much time in the professional world, but I, I know the value of learning. Learning is so important, and I love to do it. I think there's, there's nothing easier to make yourself grow than to, to gather new information, and there's so much out there. If you stop pushing yourself, if you stop desiring more for yourself and your career, you'll become dissatisfied with your work. And what does that say about the work we're doing to the glory of God? If we're not pushing ourselves, if we're remaining comfortable with the work we do, how is that glorifying God? And what happens when we remain comfortable spiritually? So many times I hear people say, God just feels so distant right now. I'm sure a lot of you have thought that. I've, I've said that numerous times, but now I only have one question in response to this thought. If God feels distant, who moved? When we say that, that God feels distant, the implication that we have every time is that God has chosen to remove himself from us we never accept that blame when we say that god feels distant we say that in this challenging time god is choosing to hide his face he's not here anymore but i think it's time we recognize that problem god does not draw away from us what i think is truly happening is that we're putting our spiritual lives on cruise control we've stopped pushing we stopped growing and we say well well i can't see god at work anymore but have we stopped looking? And, and, and I don't know where God's spirit is leading me, but are you praying to hear God's spirit, to feel it? And we don't know where God is, but are we truly looking for him? Are we pursuing a relationship with him? This is something that this church wants for all of you to struggle and to grow because these are good things. We believe that being uncomfortable is a good thing. And I want to challenge you with that as you go forward, really look at your lives, really think back during those times of intense change, when you were most uncomfortable, how was your prayer life? See, I found that with those changes When everything feels different and wrong and uncomfortable, the one constant I had was going back to God. The only thing that felt the same was praying to God. And sometimes that's all I had. But in those times of discomfort, my prayer life increased. I pursued God. And I wish that stayed a constant, but it just doesn't. I want to close with this insight from Colin Packer himself. You cannot be spiritually neutral. You're either moving toward God or you're moving away from God. Let this thought guide you as you approach the new year. Let this thought be your guide as you decide what goals to set for yourself. As you decide what challenges you will take on For the new year. And church, I really want to ask you this year, 2018, how will you make yourself uncomfortable?